Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just recently I've been uh, walking through the Australian bush and the, um, the cicadas are out and of course these are, are winged insects that um, hatch out of um, the uh, shell of a little animal that lives underground and it uh, looks a little bit like a, perhaps a lobster, I suppose, um, in that it has some big claws and legs. And these uh, tiny little um, animals that are in the order of, or insects, I suppose, are the correct term, which um, I suppose are in the order of about an inch and a half long or um, you know, four centimetres long, something like that. And, and they can be larger and they can be smaller. These uh, animals can live underground often for uh, periods of time, seven years or more. And so the tiny little animal uh, hatches out of um, the egg and it, it crawls down, burrows down the ground and it attaches a little tube to the uh, roots of the tree and, and lives on the sap underground. Then at, at this time, as I said, some of them I think have shorter time periods of a year or so and then some seven years. And I, I think I believe I read one time some of them even up to 20 years. They live underground and then they come out They and you can see their little holes where they've, they've come out of the ground and they climb up into a sunny spot and their shell cracks open and out comes this this beautiful flying insect and I used to collect these insects as a as a boy because uh, they came in different colours. There were green ones, there were yellow ones, there were red ones, there were ones that looked a bit like the British flag, the Union Jack on the back, they had a, a pattern on them, then there were tiny little black ones and there were large black ones and so it was quite interesting to try and collect all the, the different um, uh, varieties of these cicadas. And when I, I thought about this, when we think in terms of the, the Big Bang, that there was originally just some sort of huge amount of uh, mass and energy or whatever it was, some huge amount of energy, and it, of course, just expanded, the energy expanded and um, you know, converted into to matter and became the stars and so forth. And then eventually as these cooled down, here we have on Earth um, a cooling down and all these different types of life um, form. And, and life that is so balanced like that, I mean, when you think about the mechanism for that animal to, to live under there, to uh, to live underground for that amount of time and then to come up onto the ground and then it, for its shell to be of just the right material that in the heat of the sun it splits open. And in the meantime, this little animal that, uh, as I said, was a, a little bit perhaps like a, a lobster to look at with some claws on the front that could dig, changes into this flying insect with wings and a, and a, and a body. Um, you know, like a, a giant uh, giant bee, I suppose you could say. And it's all programmed in the DNA. And so we've got this molecular code that, that changes it and programs all these particular changes. And, of course, we have to believe that this arose, you know, by chance, the whole mechanism. And, and even the mechanism of the, the egg, just the, when it's laid, just, you know, staying in, in position until it hatches, 
Um, at the moment, uh, in our garden, we have a plague of cabbage moths um, that are flying around, um, and there'd be dozens of them at any one time flying over our, our veggie garden. And I was watching one the other day lay its egg on the underside of the leaf of a kale plant, and I was thinking, you know, this is amazing. So it lays the leg, and it's just got just the right stickiness to stick to the leaf underneath without falling off. And when you think about it, the the structure of the polymers that make up that glue and the viscosity and so forth, let alone the structure of the egg, all these different biomolecules that go into making up these structures are all programmed in the DNA of the the moth. And, And it works, you know, it, it's just right. You know, what happened if the, if the you know, the little su- substance on the outside of the egg wasn't strong and sticky enough? It would fall to the ground. The ants would carry it away, this sort of thing. Everything is just so finely tuned for life. That's, and I, I, to me, this is an observation that I make, just sitting in my garden or walking through the bush, that so many things are just fine-tuned. And yet the theory of evolution says that they arise by chance. Matter of fact, this same fine-tuning applies when we look at the universe as well. We know that the um, main uh, the theory for explaining the universe and how we come to be here, of course, is the, is the Big Bang Theory. And re- recently, uh, you know, a, a discussion came up and it was uh, pointed out, well, you know, sometimes... Um, we know that uh, you know the scientists uh, and the astronomers. We 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 have that the diameter of the universe is in the order of ninety three um, billion light um, billion light years uh, across, but yet it's only uh, you know thirteen point eight billion years old at the moment, um, and um, you know therefore there's this this major problem of the. Of the uh, of the light travel, well, of course we can't actually see the light from the outer universe. But one of the questions, of course, that comes up is, well, how could that matter expand? How can that matter expand faster than the the speed of light? Why don't you know scientists reject the Big Bang theory on that basis? Well, one of the things that um, you need to remember is that that scientists actually calculate the diameter of the universe based on the Big Bang Theory itself and based on uh, what they believe is the rates of expansion as they watch um, the um, different galaxies uh, appearing to move apart. And uh, using these rates, they actually calculate that diameter. But it still leaves the the problem of uh, how can uh, you know, matter then How can it have have travelled faster than the speed of light? Well, of course, this sort of behaviour, interestingly enough, is actually predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity. And it has, you know, some quite interesting implications because, you know, people often say when we think of the Bible um, description of the origin of the universe, it says that we had the earth, God created the earth, 
and set up the the atmosphere and the so forth on the earth and water and so forth. And then on the fourth day of creation, out of a six-day creation work, on the fourth day, God created the stars. And people say, well, you know, if the, the stars are being the lightiest way, how can we we uh, see them? Well, of course, and, and they saw the stars immediately back then as well. Well, it's, it's quite interesting, of course, that the, we know that um, in, in Psalms and other places in the Bible, um, God revealed that he, he stretched the heavens out. So on that day, the heavens were, were stretched out. And that implies, of course, that these um, stars and that were, were much closer. And therefore, at that stage, you know, the time for light uh, to travel would have been much less. But of course, also there's the hands Reichenbach uh, simultaneity um, equations and the problem of simultaneity um, that allows, for example, as a permissible uh, solution that light travels instantaneously towards the observer. Whereas Einstein made the assumption that. Um, from the measured speed of light, which is the, we can only measure the combined two-way speed of light, uh, and he averaged that out um, and took the average value as the, the speed of light. But there are a lot of fascinating things that we um, that we don't really understand. For example, you know, the the speed of light is um, affected by gravity and and so forth, and well, or in in terms of time as well. So we get time dilation, and perhaps one of the things that's interesting to look at general relativity, in a general sense, or the general theory of relativity, and of course this was a, a geometric theory of gravity of gravitation. Um, that was put forward by Einstein back in 1915. And it's, it's still the current description of gravity in modern physics. But one of the things that we need to understand is that while general relativity has made a number of really interesting predictions that have worked out, it still essentially hasn't been proven. It seems to work, but we need to remember it's still a theory. It's a very interesting theory that, uh, that produces some very interesting effects but one of the challenges to general relativity, of course, is quantum mechanics. And there are certain things in quantum mechanics that can't really be predicted by general re- relativity. And this, of course, has been the aim of you know, physicists for a long time now, is to combine general relativity with quantum mechanics. And that was, of course, the, the aim of uh, Stephen Hawkins, the late Stephen Hawkins, professor of physics at Cambridge there, that... And, and that was his dream to somehow unite the two theories. But it has it eluded. And so the fact that general relativity doesn't completely harmonise with uh, quantum mechanics raises some issues still. You know, is it still a, um, you know, what, what is there that we still don't understand? But essentially what he did was general relativity... Uh, generalizes special relativity. Now, the the whole concept of special relativity is that essentially nothing can travel faster than the the speed of light. But essentially, it was a combination of uh, combining that with Newton's um, general law of uh, gravity and instead describing gravity as a geometric property of space and time in terms of four-dimensional space-time. So what it said was that gravity 
rather than perhaps being a, a property of matter itself, was actually a property of the geometry of space and time, and in particular related to the curvature of space and time. So if space-time was perfectly flat, then you wouldn't have the... the, the um, the model would be a little bit different. But by having a curvature of space, then the this curvature of space and time is actually related to the energy and momentum of whatever matter and radiation are present. And so Einstein developed a number of field equations. So these are like Maxwell's uh, field equations related to electro, electromagnetic fields and uh, electric fields. And so these equations came out with um, some interesting predictions when you look at that. So essentially the, what he was saying is that the geometry of space becomes curved or changed in proportion to the amount of energy or the energy and momentum of whatever matter is actually present in that space. So this is a very interesting uh, concept. And when we think of God creating matter and that this matter then affected space and time, it actually puts, a, in my view, a picture of creation that actually the Bible's picture will fit very well. Um, some of the predictions, for example, of general relativity differ significantly from those of the classical physics, which is Newtonian physics, which is essentially the physics that we apply here on, on Earth, where things aren't moving anywhere near the speed of light and um, we're, we're just limited to you know, small, small time distance uh, problems in physics. And um, so, for example, some of the examples of the differences predicted by general relativity uh, include time dilation. So that is, um, uh, so if I remember it correctly, the faster we travel, the slower time is. Um, and so time doesn't pass. So this is counterintuitive, uh, but this is something that is in, in observed. And at the same time that... Gravity also would affect the rate of clocks. So um, the less gravity is, the faster the clocks. But the faster the clocks are travelling, the slower the clocks. And, of course, I think I've mentioned this before. That's why the clocks in, in satellites and so forth have to be corrected for these factors because they're in very low gravity being so far away from Earth and also they're travelling very fast. And... Um, these uh, corrections are, are quite measurable. Um, so that produces some things that, um, uh, as I said, are sort of counterintuitive. And, um, but of course, as I mentioned, one of the unanswered questions that remains is how can general relativity be reconciled with the laws of quantum physics? And um, how can the theory of, of of quantum gravity can be uh, unified with the non-gravitational forces such as uh, electromagnetic force and the strong and weak nuclear forces. So these are some really interesting things that, that challenge physicists at the, at the present time. But Einstein's theory has some important astrophysical uh, implications. 
and it's the one that implies the existence of black holes or regions of space and time that are distorted in such a way that nothing, even light, can escape. And, of course, black holes theoretically still haven't been proven to exist. Um, but, you know, most many scientists believe that they exist. And um, they look at um, intense radiation emitted by certain kinds of objects. They believe that's due to black holes. But theoretically, it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, these are issues that um, I guess it, it's hard to understand. Well, and I find it hard to understand too because it, it certainly is counterintuitive. Um, and again, when we compare general relativity, which is the, the all-encompassing th- theory about gravity and, and how matter and energy can change the um, curvature of space, um, we have this special relativity, which is the equation that we often see in you know, science movies, you know, E equals MC squared. Energy is equivalent to mass times the speed of light, average speed of light squared. And so, and again, that predicted that um, matter cannot move faster than the uh, speed of light with respect to a local reference frame where space-time, as I said, is treated as flat and unchanging. But it does not apply to situations where space-time is curved. And so this is the model, as I said, that general relativity predicts on a large scale out in the universe. And so in these situations, we get a very unusual scenario developing. And when general relativity then allows for the separation between two distant objects to increase faster than the speed of light. Now, the only problem is that the definition separation is different from that used in an inertial frame. In other words, where we as the observer are moving uh, similarly as everything else. Um, And so... What happens uh, is in these situations that you can be, um, well, because of, you can have a very high rate of expansion, theoretically, uh, it's possible for the distance between two objects to be greater than the value calculated by multiplying the speed of light by the age of the universe. And it's interesting in um, an article I was reading recently that this can be a source of confusion among amateurs and even professional scientists because it's, it's non-intuitive. And so essentially what it's saying is the expansion of the universe, and, and people when they think of the, the Big Bang Theory will often think, well, it's, you know, God stretching out the universe into space. No, it's actually space expanding into a hypothetical fourth dimension. Um, And one of the ways perhaps we can think of this is, and I think I've described this before as well, if you imagine a balloon, just a a balloon, and you just take a regular round party balloon and you blow it up, say, so that it's, you know, about six inches, six or eight inches in in diameter, uh, 150, 200 mil across, and you... Uh, and you seal it off, and then with the texture, you draw little circles on the balloon. And then you 
blow the balloon up now till it's about a, a foot across or 300 millimetres across. And what's happened is those little circles have separated. They've, they've moved apart because the, the surface of that balloon has expanded. Now, the surface of that balloon is only two-dimensional. Right? It, it only has length and breadth, the surface of that balloon. And, but it's expanding in a third dimension. And so when we look at the, the, the surface of something, it's only two-dimensional. But when we look at the volume of something, it's three-dimensional. But that two-dimensional surface was expanding in three-dimensional space. But if you were, were a little animal on the surface of that balloon, for example, a little ant crawling around, you could only detect two uh, dimensions, then your surface is expanding, moving away from you. And, but in actual fact, it's expanding in the third dimension. So the Big Bang Theory on the cosmological uh, principle is that space itself expanded. But it didn't <laughs> – it, it's sort of hard to, hard to understand. In other words, space didn't expand into empty space or the universe didn't expand into empty space. The universe just expanded by changing its metric into that um, new direction. And so um, this is um, – so essentially the universe does not expand into anything and it doesn't require place, space to exist outside according to the Big Bang Theory. So technically when the universe expanded, neither space nor objects in space move. Instead, it's the metric governing the size and geometry of space-time itself that changes in scale. And so although light and objects cannot travel faster than the speed of light, this limitation does not respect, restrict the, um, the metric itself. And so that's why uh, scientists and astronomers are happy to say that the universe is 93 billion light years in diameter but only 3.8 billion years old because what has, has happened is that space-time itself has uh, expanded and space-time can expand faster than the speed of light. It's not limited to the, the speed of light. But we need to remember that these are all constructs based on a number of assumptions that, that haven't been proven. Um, and one of the very serious challenges to the, the Big Bang Theory and while they can, as I said, have these mathematical constructs that allow for these, particularly using Einstein's uh, uh, general theory of relativity, we have a, a very serious thing as the flatness problem. And, and this is a very serious problem for the Big Bang. So what the Big Bang is saying, that all this energy expand, convert into matter and so forth. But the thing is that it, expand, it has expanded just the perfect rate, if it really happened, right, it somehow expanded at just the perfect rate that gravity hasn't caused it to recollapse on itself and it hasn't just, whoosh, kept on expanding openly. In other words, it, it's just expanded just right, just perfectly. And so because there's really an infinite number of scenarios in terms of this balance 
either being too, you know, too strong a gravity or too weak a gravity. You could look at it that way, I suppose. Um, the fact that this is this perfect balance, which is called the flat flatness problem, it's, and so the universe is essentially stable. And so to me, again, this fits. It's, it's an amazing coincidence, but it's a giant coincidence, and it's a coincidence, one in an infinite number of solutions. And that, so for that to be absolutely perfect points me to the Creator and to what God, the Bible says, that God stretched out the universe. And he did perfectly. It was just right. And that's a serious challenge, the Big Bang Theory. There are lots of other um, you know, challenges, for example, if they really had this really hot plasma, why weren't uh, magnetic uh, dipoles formed or monopoles, rather, not dipoles, magnetic monopoles formed, which according to particle physics should form, but they don't form. They haven't been observed anywhere. Um, we've got the, the problem, of course, of, of antimatter out in the universe. The Laura Bayron number predicts that if you convert energy into matter, you get the equal amount of matter and antimatter, whereas we find that the universe is mainly matter. Um, and so um, also, what, where did the energy come from that just suddenly expanded the universe like that, faster than the speed of light? Okay, while general relativity allows for it, you still got to have that um, energy, and that's and and of course that's dark energy and the the problem that they call of inflation. There are lots of other issues too with um, the Big Bang theory. Uh, there's the missing uh, population three stars. Um, these are the uh, stars. The Big Bang uh, predicts really that. The stars should only be made up of the lighter elements, um, you know, hydrogen, helium, maybe a little bit of lithium. Um, but, of course, there are lots of stars that have the, uh, have the heavier elements in them. And, of course, these first stars um, uh, should be there. But all the stars that we see seem to have some uh, of the heavier elements in them. And so the... Um, the population, or they're called population three stars, they have not been found anywhere. Um, all known stars seem to have at least a trace of heavy elements in them. And so, again, the fact that we can't find these stars that are just made of just the lighter elements um, seems, again, to be um, a problem. Uh, for the Big Bang. There are, there are other things as well. Um, and, of course, there's the horizon problem where we uh, talk about really there's not enough time for then light to travel, and this is separate to the, the diameter time problem. Um, this is the microwave background re radiation for it to distribute itself evenly. Um, is a, a major problem there in that there's not enough time for that to happen. And also the cosmological principle itself has, has come under challenge with the discovery of large structures because this principle, again, doesn't predict that there would be any giant structures formed in the Earth. Now, when I mean giant, I mean giant clusters of, of galaxies and, and so forth that are billions of light years in size. And so when we look at the, when I think of the summary of all these things, um, the Bible story, the Bible account of creation and God 
stretching out the heavens fits what we observe. It really does fit. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen to this program um, or listen to other programs, uh, just uh, Google um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au and click on the Listen button. And remember to mention it too to, on your social media or any good programs that you've listened to. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.